From Bias to Equality podcast is brought to you by the CEO magazine, Holman Web Lawyers, and B2 Buy. Hello, and welcome to my podcast, From Bias to Equality. I'm your host, Sandra D'Souza. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Dr. Aoife Brennan. She served as Synlogic's president and chief executive officer since May 2018. She joined Synlogic in September 2016 as chief medical officer. Prior to Synlogic, Aoife spent six years at Biogen, most recently as vice president and head of the Rare Disease Innovation Unit, developing programs from preclinical to commercial. Aoife serves as a board of the sorry, serves as a member of the board of directors of Cerevents and Fibrogen and previously served on the board of directors of Ra Pharmaceuticals until its acquisitions by UCB. Now about Synlogic, Synlogic is a NASDAQ-listed company, which was founded in 2014 by MIT professors Jim Collins and Tim Liu. They combine synthetic biology, a form of precision biological engineering, with principles of traditional drug development to design medicines for diseases that are in need of new approaches. The result, is a robust engine that can create these potential medicines called synthetic biotics to improve patients' lives. Synthetic biotics are living probiotics that have genetically engineered to perform specific functions in the GI tract targeting validated biology. They have the potential to treat a range of conditions, including rare diseases, metabolic conditions, immunologic and inflammatory diseases. Because synthetic biotics are orally administered and are based on familiar probiotics as a delivery method, they offer a potentially convenient and safe approach to treatment. Synlogic also has research collaborations and partnerships with Roche and Ginkgo Bioworks. Hi, Aoife. Thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. Oh, it's so nice for you to have me. Thank you, Sandra. I have to say, just for the listeners here, that you actually have a far more impressive background, and I had to really cut back on so much of the details. And, and you're certainly... Um, with your education and your experience, you're a very impressive CEO. Oh, thank you so much for that. Um, sometimes I feel like I've jumped around so much career-wise that there's, you know, it's, uh, I've had a lot of fun. I've learned a tremendous amount, but certainly becoming a CEO of a biotech company was not on my career path when I graduated med school. So um, wow. it's always nice to hear hear that reflection. Well, actually, that, that leads me to my first question. So I guess from, from when you, your, your career journey, like you said, from med school to where you are now being the CEO of a biotech company that's listed, do you want to share some, some of that, you know, in, like, well, not information, but I guess um, details about your journey? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I have a teenager just about to start college and I talk to him and his friends and I tell them, you know, you to go forward, explore, be curious, be open, don't be fixed in terms of where you think the destination is for you. Um, and that's certainly been kind of a guiding light for my career. I, of course, you know, when you're in your early 20s, you think you've got it all worked out and you've the whole plan and it's all mapped out. And, where and you're you, gonna you, live. Think, you think you know everything as well. Yeah, too. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyone who tells you otherwise doesn't know what they're talking about. But um, so I did. I, I graduated med school in Ireland, thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do was, was to be a professor you know, back in Ireland. And um, I did my training in Ireland and then married my husband, who really wanted to come to the States. So I was what they call here a trailing spouse. I, I essentially followed him across the Atlantic, 
to work in Boston, which at the time was for one year only. And we were planning that we would go back. My oldest son was six weeks old at the time. So tiny new baby. Um, mm. And then, you know, here we are 20 years later, still living in the States. But, you know, I think at that time, it was kind of one of the first junctures, you know, junction in my life, a T-junction. I decided if I was here, even though I had a, a, a new, you know, very small baby, I was going to try and make the most of it from a career perspective and um, ended up getting a job doing research at a one of the academic teaching hospitals here in Boston. Um, and through that, because... You know, Boston is such a center of opportunity and there's just so many things going on. Once you get your foot in the door, you know, you, it just opens up all these opportunities for learning and courses and programs. And one of the programs was a, a teaching program at the Harvard Medical School, which, um, you know, I was really surprised. I still pinched myself that they actually took me in. You know, I was not a U.S. citizen, had graduated from yeah. a farm medical school kind of went for it and that set me off on kind of a career trajectory um that I think has been very positive I had it opened up all kinds of other additional opportunities one of which was to join a biotech company which of course I had never even considered as a career opportunity for myself but once I started in my first job in biotech I knew that this was kind of exactly where I was meant to be um I just love the pace the challenge um, just the team aspect was was really interesting. And I, I liked that it was science, but it was pragmatic. So you're solving problems, which just really fits my personality type. Um, so that was amazing. My first biotech company was a company called Talrex. And um, it was a private company at the time. They were constantly thinking about doing an IPO, becoming a public company. I was relatively junior at that point, um, but the company had a phase three trial that failed which was a devastating outcome for a small private biotech. So the company ended up closing down. Um, and of course, at the time I thought, oh, I'll never have an opportunity as good as this again. I'll never be happy. You know, this was the right, I, I, for some reason, I thought I was going to retire from this company at 65 and was absolutely <laughs> gutted that I now needed to find a new job, which I think was the next lesson for me. It's just yeah. being in the innovation economy means that, you know, you're, constantly on the cutting edge, working in companies where you don't know if it's going to work out or not. And you have to be prepared to, you know, move on if, if things don't work out. And that's kind of how, how this ecosystem at Boston Biotech works. Um, so after that, went to Biogen and spent six years at Biogen in amazing roles. You know, the company was going through a really rapid period of growth at the time yeah. where, you know, my the, the size of the company was almost you know, doubling um, every couple of years, and there were far more opportunities than there were good people. And so I always found myself, you know, every six months, just as I was about to get my head above water and kind of get my job, <laughs> I, I, I joke about you have to tame every job, you know, which is just getting yourself organized, <laughs> yes, getting to feeling. know what's going on, you know, and yeah. that's a painful yeah. six month period. And you have to, you know, tell your family, hey, I'm in this new job. I'm going to be, it's going to be intense. Once I get it under control, then, you know, things will get a little easier. Um, and it seemed like for a you know, number of years, every time I just get to the point where I felt like I was taming my job, you know, I get another opportunity or another responsibility. So that was an amazing experience. And I think really prepared me for being a CEO of, of, a, of a small biotech company because it was kind of a frenetic pace. Um, and then... Biogen went through a strategic decision where they were going to divest part of the company, which happened to be the part of the company I was working on. And I had an opportunity to stay or an opportunity to go with the new spin out. 
Um, and I decided, okay, now's the time for me to look elsewhere. I'd been at the company almost six years and thought, okay, now's, now's an opportunity. So I joined my current company when it was really small. It was just, it just raised its B round of financing. Um, I joined as chief medical officer. And again, the company changed pretty rapidly within a year, had become a public company. You know, we'd advanced our first programs into the clinic, at which point the board asked me if I would be interested in becoming CEO. So that was kind of the next um, the next juncture, if you will, in, in my career. Um, my youngest son was still, you know, maybe 18 months, two years. So I still had little ones at home. And of course, that was my first, you know, response when when um, I was approached it was like, oh, you know, not me and not now. It's maybe something I'll do in 10 or 15 years time. But, you know, this is not the right time for my life. And luckily, I had a board member who um took me for breakfast in a greasy spoon. I will never forget the experience. He sat me down and he said, you need to get yourself together. There's no reason why you can't do this. And of course he was right. Just like every other job, there was a period of learning where you need to tame the job, you know, understand who you can trust, where you can delegate, you know, what things you need to own yourself. Um, so it was no different to every other role. Um, and it's been a really fun, fun journey. I've been in the role now about four or five years and, still learning a tremendous amount and uh, have had the opportunity to participate in other companies too as a board member, which has been a, a great experience. Oh, wow, Aoife, that's an amazing, um, I guess, journey that you've had. And look, before I start asking about Elect Stars, I just wanted to ask a couple more questions. Um, just, just out of curiosity, is, the, is your industry, like, you know, you've been promoted, were you in a um, male-dominated kind of industry or was it fairly balanced from in your career path? Yeah, so I think that's a, a really difficult question to answer because biotech um, is probably, if you look at the workforce overall, it's about 50-50 in terms of just gender diversity. But the, you know, it gets, it's like a pyramid, right? And if you look yes. at public biotech companies because those are kind of easier to quantify you know there's lots of private companies hard to know like what how many are there out yeah. there but if you look at the public biotech companies um less than 10 percent of female ceos you know we've made a little bit of progress on boardroom diversity for bi in biotech industry in in the past couple of years we've started to move the needle it's now kind of in the high teens maybe approaching 20 percent in terms of gender representation among biotech public biotech companies as at the board level but at the ceo level it continues to be stubbornly stuck in the less than 10 percent number for an industry where you know it's a 50 50 gender split you know if you look at the overall company composition um so it's just a really interesting case study i think in terms of you know why are we not seeing more representation of women at the ceo level at the c-suite level um i wish i knew the exact answer um, but I don't. But you know, that's uh, that's how things stand currently in in my industry. Well, I can. That, that's why I guess it's fascinating, like to, to for me to ask a few more questions. That you are the CEO of a biotech company, and um, and that you had a board member who championed you, and and you also considered the the family the challenges in, in managing your family. We have a, a very young, you know, son that you said. So these are the typical, I guess um challenges and concerns um for any woman who have a young family to think do I step up can I do the job all that stuff so how did you overcome that I know you said that you had that greasy breakfast but yeah. what, 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 what how did you weigh it all up to make it work for you 
Well, I think the, um, you know, the first thing I think when you're approached about a job like a CEO is it's, it appears to be a very prestigious job. And, you know, I wasn't seeking prestige. I wasn't seeking to, you know, be on a plinth or, you know, to be the front face of the organization. But when I realized, actually, no, it's a job where um, you're serving others, you know, you're fixing things, you're being useful, you're helping grow the company. When it's framed in those terms, I think it becomes a lot more mission and a lot less kind of about, you know, self-promotion. And it just sat better with me when I started to see it as there's a big need. I'm uniquely qualified to help this company at this time. I understand kind of where the strengths and weaknesses of the organization are. I've been within the organization. I think get coming around to being okay with it, that was the first step. And then the second step, I think, you know, I really wanted to make sure that when you do something, you're going to be successful. And I'd never been CEO before. You know, I'd never, you know, I didn't know how much travel was going to be involved. You know, what are people going to expect of me? I have responsibilities on the home front. You know, I, there was this element of like, I don't want to do it and then fail. I prefer not to do it at all. And it's really challenging when there's no real rule book that tells you, you know, here's what your week is going to be like as a CEO, or here's exactly what you're going to have to do when you go into the office. It's very variable. You know, different people can make the job what they will. You know, some people have very team-based executive leadership. Some people have very individual-based executive leadership style. Um, but nobody really tells you that, right? So there's this kind of fog of mystery around the CEO role. Um, but once I got okay with failing, I said, okay, I'm going to try it. I'm going to give it my best. You know, I'm going to see if I can manage it and, you know, keep things going on the home front and, you know, kind of fulfill my other responsibilities. And I'm okay if I put my hand up in two years and say, hey, I've given it my best shot. I, it's not for me or, you know, I, I, I don't want to do this and kind of quote unquote fail as, as a CEO. And once I, I used to joke that, you know, you have to put your failure, your fear of failure into your desk drawer and lock it with the key and then throw away the key. <laughs> you yeah, know, you have to yeah. kind of go through this process of being OK with that as an outcome. I'm like, OK, if that's yeah. the worst that can happen. You know, my kids are still going to be healthy. I'm going to be fine. I still have a lot of qualifications. I'll find something to do that pays the bills. Yeah. You know, once you kind of go through that mental process of, you know, it could be OK, I'm going to try it what's the worst that can happen? It makes it a lot easier to be courageous and, and to step forward and, and do it. So those are kind of the two things that really influenced my decision to give it a whirl. That's fantastic, you know, for you to say that because that there is a limiting belief for a lot of, um, you know, professionals who, especially women, because we, we aim to be perfect. We aim to be the perfect mom, the perfect worker, the perfect wife. Um, all of that stuff and then that limits us to to progress and and when there's an opportunity we don't we don't lean into it or stand stand up for it um worrying about all this so so you, the way that you just described how you process all that thinking I think you know that would help a lot of aspiring leaders to say you know what you know if um I can do this if I just kind of like you know be easy on myself not to be so hard on yourself um I know with life yeah yeah, I also think there's a reality of, you know, when you come in an industry where it's 50% of people coming into the industry are female, yet only 10% are ending up kind of in the C-suite at the CEO level. Those few that make it have had consistently positive outcomes, you know, they've either through luck or because they're just amazingly brilliant or whatever it is, right? They've had this, you know, straight up into the left career to date. And the thoughts of having a blot on your copybook 
when you've had this kind of run of like string of successes or you've built a reputation can I think can I think sometimes hold you back but then you look around and you see there's lots of people who've had you know setbacks or they've done a great job but just you know the outcome didn't happen the way we you know wanted it to happen and you realize actually there's there's a lot of people you know there's a path forward here um I think it makes it a lot easier and I think also your experiences with the startups, you know, that you talked about and the changes in, in the company when it got diversified, divested, um, that you've seen, okay, this is like you said, you know, you were planning to retire in the, in the same company, but then it didn't happen. And as devastating as it was, I think it, it like you said, you know, showed you, yep, you know, you put all your effort in, you think it'll be forever, but then it just happens. But you saw everybody, you, you bounced back from it. Others have bounced back from it. So it's not the end of the world. Yes, dear, absolutely correct. Yeah. Once you've been laid off once, you know, you're fearless. <laughs> it creates a little bit of fearless. Like, okay. You know. Yeah, I did it. I survived it. It's okay. Yeah. yeah I survived it. It's so, okay. It's so, and so I guess now, um, just, just for the listeners, you know, where I wanted to talk about the elect stars, the reason behind the elect stars is exactly what you're you're um saying is that you know we see um there is a push, you know, we see um, diversity, equity, inclusion policies that kind of supports um gender diversity, you know, up to the middle management. But when it comes to C suites and boards, we're still seeing you know, there, there's not that sort of level of representation. And ideally, at 4060 is the range that you want to see. And so um, the purpose of the Elect Stars is to celebrate the companies um, that have achieved that. And we want to make it a very straightforward criteria so there's no ambiguity out of it. And, and if any company that achieves three out of the four, um, we, we consider them as, as really committed to, to gender equality because you start from the top, if that's represented at the top, it cascades down to the rest of the company, making the company also women friendly or known to be women friendly and attractive to investors. Because we've heard about research that uh, financial performance on, on, on diverse boards and C-suite teams generally perform financially better. Um, so the full criteria that we have is um, if they get a point, if they have at least one women CEO or CFO, and I see that you have both, so unfortunately you don't get two points, you still get one point, <laughs> then um, a woman board chair have at least 25% of women on board of directors and at least 25% of women on senior leadership team. And with that, um, you know, like I said, if any company gets three out of four stars, they qualify for elect stars. And when we went through all, like you said, the publicly available information, this is what we can um, see. And we actually went through almost 9,000 companies in NASDAQ rating them. Um, would you like to have a guess how many, when we did the research, how many of them qualified at least three out of four with the criteria that I've just said? I think it's probably less than 20%. 13 percent did you say yeah five percent less than five percent oh, oh my god oh my god less than five percent yep 204 companies at that time when we went through of almost nine thousand companies got three stars or more so so wow. it is it's terrible and the same we did with asx the australian stock exchange um we're going through the london stock exchange as well as the new york stock exchange to see where that's where they're at um but certainly if you you know there are various stats to say yes i've come across a lot of the research you know 20 30 percent we're seeing some improvements but if you combine just having these four criteria 
um, how we put it. And we're not trying to make it very difficult. Um, yeah. I don't think they're, they're really challenging, but we, we instead of 40 to 60%, we had to make it 25% because it just, it was only 200 companies. Well, now you need to start an index fund. <laughs> yes, yeah, I should. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> so, um, so, so with that, I guess seeing your company, can you talk about a little bit, um, with some logic? Because I see a very balanced team that you have there. Has it always been like this? Was it something that you had to implement? Um, just, just some, yeah, just some um, background and and how you managed to get such a good balance um, board and C-suite team. You know, I um, it hasn't always been like this. I mean, like a lot of small biotech companies, you start out where investors are your board members. And we move very quickly from a series B to a public company without necessarily kind of often you're preparing by, you know, turning over your board, putting new management team in place who are ready and kind of for that public step. We because we moved quickly through that step from a series B to essentially a public company. We didn't really have an opportunity to do that thoughtful board evolution process. And just it's the nature. If you think, you know, elect stars are infrequent, you know, female investors in biotech or even, you know, it's like hen's teeth. (laughs) They are very (laughs) rare. So I think as a consequence, it's not unusual for private biotech companies to have no females at all, um, either on the board or the C-suite. So I think, you know, the board making the decision to transition the prior CEO to me was an important step, right? And saying, okay, we're going to support you. The transition was at a very difficult time for the company. It was right after we'd become a public company. And to make that, you know, it kind of ruins your stride. It breaks up the kind of momentum, right? If you want to kind of become a public company with the story and the team, right? So that you can run with a consistent story. Um, And they realized they were putting me in a difficult situation and kind of committed to support me through it, which was great. I mean, I have an amazing relationship with the board members who are still very available and coaching and, you know, would pull me aside. And and I think that's a really great experience. It's pretty rare though, I think, um, to have that kind of experience. And, you know, they've been very supportive of my initiative to diversify the board. And so I brought in two additional female board members um, in the last couple of years. They've been very supportive about that. I'm very lucky in that they really see the value that those people bring. And not just from a gender diversity perspective, you know, one of the more recent board members we brought in actually has a human resources background, which is a background that's predominantly female right but that that background and that skill set is often not represented on corporate boards and you know this you know we appointed Lisa just before the COVID pandemic where suddenly all kinds of human resource issues just dominated boardrooms you know for you know kind of 18 months Um, and she was really able to add value in helping us kind of navigate that manage to keep people safe while having them in the lab and you know there were a lot of really thorny kind of HR and culture issues that came up around that time so I think it's been you know amazing because I got the immediate yes from the board and then we've also kind of had some success and that becomes you know that compounds on itself Um, and similarly I think diversity at the board and the CEO and C-suite level compounds in terms of making it easier to diversify lower down you know I'll often have, you know, either as an advisor, or as a board member, see, you know, really, you know, male um, leadership teams. 
And when you say, you know, hey, you know, something's wrong, you're not hiring well, if everyone just happens to be male, they will share, well, you know, we've made two offers to females and they don't want to join, you know, they, they've declined our offer, you know, we don't know why. And I'm like, yeah, because they don't want to be the only, the only female in the room. So it, it kind of is challenging to break through. But once you do break through, it becomes so much easier because what we find anyway is women are more likely to take chances in terms of promotion, taking on a new role when they have that kind of modeling at the board and the senior level. Um, and when we go to hire people, we actually end up kind of, we had to try purposefully early on to make sure we had a diverse slate, but now it almost happens, you know, without us really having to put much effort in because it's a magnet, right? You know, having a um, diverse leadership team, a diverse board, a commitment to, you know, flexibility and family friendly and promoting females and providing career development opportunities makes the task of maintaining that diversity a little easier because you've kind of established those workplace norms. And I think it becomes a magnet. And I see it myself, you know, I often get approached from companies saying, you know, we're looking for a female board member. You know, of course, the first thing I do is, you know, into Google, put in the company name, pull up their leadership team, pull up their, you know, board. And I'm kind of like, hey, guys, you know, even if you were wearing a different tie, it would be diversity. <laughs> it's like they're all in navy, white and a red yeah. tie. And I'm like every single person on your board, like you don't even have anyone with a high BMI not to talk about, you know, a different gender. I mean, yeah. it's just kind of yeah. crazy. And you see those companies yeah. all the time. And it's just totally off-putting because nobody wants to yeah. be the token female, right, to, you know, the token um the token person or to have an opportunity just because of your gender and not based on your achievements or, or background. So I think that's what we found on this journey is that it re you reach a tipping point where it becomes a, a little easier. Well, that's good. So, so I, I, I like, um, you know, with what you said, um, I've also like um, from my initial set of interviews and that was a commonality um, in terms of strategies. Um, was was having board support made a big difference um, and also the recruitment process to help with um, attracting because there are companies I've spoken to not the ones who qualify for elect stars but the ones who do try and said like exactly what you said they make offers but but the 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 woman talent just said no 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 thank you um or, or or just yeah they just cannot retain them and and um, because there's more to it you know nobody wants to be the token person in a, a, a very strong um, kind of dominated uh, male dominated environment and I'm not saying there's anything I'm, I'm definitely just want to point out not saying there's anything wrong with men um, not man hater but diversity is really what would help in, in anything that we do and it actually helps um, companies so sorry I realize I'm just going on a soapbox but what, what you what you've said you know just coincidentally is is what a lot of good CEOs and that I've um, interviewed and and how they've managed to to get there. So it's really good to hear um, with what you're saying and your journey that I really sincerely hope that others will listen and, and realize that, that it can be done, but maybe take a different approach. Yes. Yeah. So um so look, you know, I could really just keep talking, but you've given us so much insights. Before we finish off. Um, I just want to ask you, and this is the standard question that I ask um, all of our uh, business leaders on the interview, whether it's for the book or, or podcast, um, what's your advice to other CEOs who are struggling to achieve diversity in their company? 
human if they want to or need to. I think, you know, I'm a drug developer and we often think about drug development as having stages, right? So, um, you know, I think you have to see it as a phased-based approach that you're not going to be able to kind of, with one hire or two hires, fix, you know, something that you're unhappy with in terms of the makeup because um, it kind of becomes self-fulfilling and self-defining a little bit because we live in a world where most good talent have options, right? They have just choices in terms of what companies they they work at so they will kind of move to companies that more are in line with their values and their thinking and how they want to work and that's just you know particularly in the U.S. now um, unemployment levels are very very low there's a war on talent even with recent layoffs it's, it's still very very difficult thing to do but I think seeing it in phases and you know having a very thoughtful approach um, the one piece I think that's really helped us is often as a business leader, you have an urgent need for somebody to fill a role. You know, when you open up a requisition, you need somebody yesterday. And the temptation is always to kind of jump at the first, you know, they, the, the recruiter will send you a list of, of resumes of people and you kind of just need that it's so bad that you just want to, you know, the first person that you think kind of checks the box and is qualified will come. And what we've done is our head of human resources is very committed to diversity, inclusion, culture, you know, having an innovative culture. And he's often the person on the panel who's kind of holds up the hand and said, hey, hold on a second here. You know, are we sure that we really have the best talent represented here? You know, let's think again about how we've written the job spec, how we've gone about this search, because it's not possible with a company that the, in an industry where 50% of the workforce is female, that we have an all male slate or that we have an all female slate, you know, that's unusual. Let's make sure we're not overlooking something. And it's always irritating at the time because I'm like, oh, we need someone, you know, there's something we have yeah. to do. Um, but I think taking that time just really pays dividends, right? It's never easy, but it'll often, you'll often find, oh, there's like this amazing person that was overlooked because they didn't check this box. Um, so I think having that, you know, angel on your shoulder who's not necessarily owns owning the business but has an important stakeholder in the search can be really really helpful we found that's really good advice um certainly it's not something that is often discussed about but um but um i really like that approach um and having that focus um, especially on the recruitment approach yeah 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 that's great Oh, Eva, I really would love to ask more and more questions and talk all um, in your evening or talk all night and in my morning. Um, but I do have to say um, this is it. And thank you so much for being part, thank you so for, much, part of our podcast. <laughs> I really appreciate your insights and, um, and sharing them with our listeners. And I, like I said, you know, I, this is all to help more and more business leaders to be able to achieve that gender balance boards and C-suite teams. Thank Great. You Thanks so much, Sandra. Bye-bye. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors. Firstly, we're sponsored by B2Buy. B2Buy is your trusted business buying platform that simplifies and automates your buying process, helping you buy smarter and faster, giving you greater visibility and value. With 100,000s products in one place, B2Buy is passionate about connecting diverse suppliers with corporate buyers, so you can create a more inclusive business environment and buy better with www.b2buy.online. Our second sponsor is Holman Webb Lawyers, an award-winning and dynamic full-service Australian law firm with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide.
Not only do Holman Webb offer comprehensive legal services, but they are also a proud recipient of the LX Star, recognizing their commitment to achieving gender equality and leadership. Discover more about their services, initiatives and industry-leading insights at www.holmanweb.com.au. Lastly, our sponsor the CEO Magazine is an iconic, global media brand that inspires and promotes excellence within the business world. It is a source of information, inspiration and motivation for the world's most successful leaders, executives, investors and entrepreneurs. Go to www.thesiomagazine.com.